This episode is brought to you by the Metasearch Institute. What happens when patients' cases become too complex to solve in a typical 30-minute visit? Well, you've all had those super thick, super deep patient histories nobody's looked at in a long time and gone back through. Well, I'll tell you what happens is those patients bounce around from doc to doc without getting any answers or making any progress. These patients are trapped and lost in a maze. Well, Metasearch is here for those doctors and for those patients. Their motto is, we solve the unsolvable. Their process is rather simple. Dr. Trent Talbot, the founder, assigns a team of medical detectives, typically three MDs and one PhD, to each case. They research the latest breakthroughs and clinical trials, and they elicit the opinions of 10 to 15 world-leading experts per case. They purposefully seek out experts who will come at each case from a different perspective, the Bainesian method. Altogether, they will put in over 250 MD hours for every case. That means 500 times the amount of brain power that a typical doctor can afford to offer. Nobody can do what Metasearch does. Call 832-968-6667. That's 832-968-6667 to be in touch. You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. So I promised you at the turn of the year that we would meet some people that I think can be leading the revolution of what healthcare could look like going forward. And I don't know that we have the uh, Messiah. I don't know that there is a Messiah. But the good news about um, all of this is that we have a path. We know what the runway looks like. And it's going to look something like what our guest is going to be talking about today, which is living in the nest versus living in the wild. The nest would be described as anything that is in the healthcare clinic, inside a hospital, inside the system, is the 1% of the time where we're encountering healthcare face-to-face directly. The rest of the time, the 99.9% of the time, we're living in our homes, we're living our lives, we're eating, we're drinking, we're sleeping, we're moving. And that is really where healthcare is going to change, is when we can create a direct consumer experience that's so easy that it's a Google or a Facebook for social or uh, for example, like an Uber for, for moving places. When we can create that kind of an experience for the consumer in the wild, we will have conquered the user experience. Um, our guest today, Jeannie Teschler, is somebody that I've actually been really deeply in the head of now for the last six months because I'm excited about what she's working on. She's the founder and CEO of Wellsmith, which is a digital health community platform that's solving the single biggest problem facing healthcare today, a crummy consumer experience. Jeannie has pioneered innovative solutions over the last 25 years in three disciplines. So she's at the crossroads of consumer products, technology, and healthcare industries, and it really took all three of those crossroads for her to be able to become a sought-after speaker that addresses these complex challenges with the intersection of these three roads. So uh, Jeannie, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Ron. It's a pleasure to be here. 
How are they? Um, are, do we have any honeybees? No, not yet. I have not gotten the honeybees set up yet. I need to clear okay. out that part of the yard. But my next door neighbor turns out his father was a beekeeper. So I have a kindred spirit in the neighborhood. So the greatest GoFundMe crowdsourced account um, system ever was this honeybee system I have where you just literally pull a crank like you're dealing with pouring a beer and you can get the honey out of the uh, out of the beehive without hot wax and knives and centrifugal fuses and killing a bunch of bees. It's really an elegant system. And Jeannie now is the proud owner of that because I couldn't make it happen in my neighborhood. Right. So I'm excited to get that started at some point. Yeah, I want to hear about that consumer experience. Well, Jeannie, you're, <laughs> you're a rarity because you are a female CEO in MedTech. How many people can make that title claim? Uh, you know, suppose in the startup world, probably a lot that we don't know about. In the, in the tech-heavy world, it's hard to find. Um, there are a few that I look at and watch and just sort of keep my eye on to see how they're handling being a female in a tech world. MedTech you know, is a subspecialty of that technology world. You will find a lot of female executives in healthcare itself, though. That is um, true across most of the organizations that I have uh, encountered, is that you'll see a lot of chief nursing officers, chief medical officers, uh, a heck of a lot more chief executive officers um, than I would remember back when I was a kid, for example. So there's some gains being made there. Less so in technology, but that's because when you're doing a startup, um, your chances of dying are much higher than your chances of living. You know, with a female nurturing attitude and, and just the DNA of a female, you would imagine in 2020, we're not having a conversation like why are more females not in CEO roles in technology? It's just, this would be a conversation you'd expect to be having in 2002 or 1982. Why are we having this conversation in 2020? Oh, wow. That's really a hard one to unpack thoroughly. Um, I think it's because we're, you know, there's a lot going on in the STEM movements to get more women into technology. And they, that tends to be more along the programming line. And, and women in science is also the new thing that we keep hearing about. Uh, but back when I was in college, uh, way back uh, in the 80s, so I'm showing my age a little bit, um, there, you know, we didn't have this real push to move forward in a male or female way. I mean, my college had, it was an education school for most things. So a lot of, there were a lot of women, more women than men, because it was focused on education, just regular education, special ed, deaf ed, uh, all of that. Um, and so the careers that people choose tend to be sort of what they grew up in and around. Um, I grew up with two brothers. I'm in the middle of two brothers. Um, and my experience was a lot different because my whole neighborhood it was a very Catholic neighborhood. So there were hundreds of children. Um, I, there were mostly boys. So I hung out with guys and I, you know, had more of a relationship with how guys thought and felt than girls. So I didn't grow up in the stereotypical girls do this, boys do that, because I was always playing baseball with my brothers. My dad was their little league coach. Um, and so I grew up thinking that's the way the world was. And so going into a career, I didn't think about it that way. And I think that was helpful. Um, I didn't feel glass ceilings um, as much as I think I would have if I was attuned to that and thinking that they were in my way. I just bust through stuff if it bothers me. Um, and I think that's partly personal, partly how you grow up and just, 
you know, the entre entrepreneurial spirit is if you want to make something happen, you're pretty much going to have to figure it out and do it yourself. Can't wait for anybody else. So you weren't a, probably a tomboy growing up, but you're one of the guys. You're, we all had girlfriends, I mean female friends in high school that were just, they could sit at the lunch table and hang with the guys and we could hang with them and they're just totally like a little sister. Was that you growing up? Uh, yeah, but I was also the tomboy because again, my brothers were pitchers and catchers. And so, and my dad was their coach. So if they wanted to practice pitching, I was the catcher. And if they wanted to practice catching, I was the pitcher. Um, so yeah, I grew up playing all the guy sports and it wasn't until it hit me at one point. Um, and then this is again, what you hear when you're a young girl, this is before title nine, um, is I wanted to play baseball with my brothers. Cause I was as good, if not better than most of the kids on that team. It's like, dad, put me in. He's like, well, you can't because you're a girl. Right. Um, and so that was, that was my first thing is like, well, I can't do this because I'm a girl. Um, and, and so I avoided situations in which that was a problem. I, I played soccer in college. I played tennis. I played all these different sports where co-ed was sort of the, the name of the game. You could play soccer if you're a girl, you could play soccer if you're a guy, you weren't on the same teams necessarily, but you could do that. So, um, it's just an interesting mix. I, I tend to not think about this as female versus male as much as, um, a desire to make a change and see things that need to change and understanding that um, I am the kind of person who's not going to sit back and wait for somebody else to solve a problem. If I know how to solve the problem, I'm going to figure out how to do it, right? I'm going to build a team. I'm going to build a company and I'm going to take it head on, which is what we're doing at Wellsmith. I had the chance to watch your youngest Maddie uh, win enough races to now she is the national uh, named number one for the fastest, not just in the 11 and 12 and 13 year old girls, but also the boys. She is a little speed demon on a mountain bike. Yes, she is. She's one of those kids that's just, um, you know, she's got all the talent and she's got a bit of drive, which is great. So, um, and again, in that arena and mountain biking, everybody rides the same course. Um, so there's no handicapping for girls versus guys. You, you know, you they start at different times and they race differently. Um, and while she's 12 and the boys haven't hit that growth spurt, which is going to, you know, take her out of competition with them. She's beaten them all. She's beaten all the boys and she's beaten all the girls, including the older ones. You know, and I watched, uh, you watched your daughter, older sister, Carol do the same thing in her mountain biking career. Elizabeth was an amazing martial artist as was your son, Rudy. And then, I got to interview Catherine, I think is getting married this weekend. Is that right? Uh, two weekends. Yes, that's coming up. I think that you have raised basically four CEO daughters from what I uh, judge. That is, that's a goal. And they're all redheads, so they're going to be stubborn as heck, which is important oh, um, in the scary business for your world. Husband. Yeah. yeah, I know. He's outnumbered. The estrogen nuclear cloud that sits over our house is a constant joke. Yeah, um, I'm leave yeah. you alone. You've already had five kids. That's enough already, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're beyond that now. We, now we're going to start looking at kids getting married and starting to have kids of their own. So this is a show about primary care and what's going to change primary care. And you, again, I've talked to you extensively and your theory, that's not a theory, actually, you've proven in, in, that there is more going to happen in the wild than it's going to happen in the nest. The nest being defined as your, your clinic, your OB-GYN, if you're, you know, if that's your primary care doctor, your pediatrician, if you're a child, if you're an adult, your family doctor, internal medicine, if it's your parent. 
there's a lot more going on outside the wild than is ever going to happen in the nest. Is that correct? That is correct. So when you look at the amount of time that you spend in healthcare, which I think you said in your intro was about 1% of the time, and that's generous. Um, uh, even if you have a chronic condition, which requires you to spend a lot of time going to and from appointments every year, three, four, five, six times a year, that's still less than 1% of your time. The rest of the time you're sitting out in the wild, as we call it here at Wellsmith, and that's when you're just going about your everyday life. And what I discovered over time um, in, because you know, you know, my husband and I, uh, for years, we've been married for 26 years now, but we've worked together every one of those 26 years um, at various ventures, um, is we've consulted and we've worked in consumer goods, we've worked in technology, and we've worked in healthcare, and we've started, we started to see all of this movement towards value-based care in healthcare, towards wearables and sensors in technology, towards um, foods and fitness things that are coming in from the consumer side to help people live better and healthier lives. And, and the ratios, if it's 99 to one, the amount of uh, time that we spend in the wild versus the nest, then the, the, the answer to our poor health problems really is in that 99% of time. And it comes down to the point of choice that we make as consumers to either um, do things that promote our health or that do things that detract from our health. And the problem that we see is that the things that we think are um, promoting our health necessarily aren't because we're not doing them enough, like getting exercise and eating well. And those things that are detrimental to our health, like sitting down and binge watching uh, Netflix for two or three days and or, you know, stopping at the closest fast food joint are, are the things that are causing our problems. So how do we build solutions that allow consumers to, to continue to take better control of their life and their health and make it seamless to them in the wild? And that's what we do at Wellsmith. The key to uh, solving this at the consumer level, because it is consumers who are the ones who are obese it is consumers, the ones who are having diabetes and record numbers. It is consumers with heart problems. Um, is is that the problem has to solve with them? And and you won't find very many people, if any, who wake up in the morning thinking to themselves, "Boy, I really hope I feel like crap today." Right? That's not how we think, but that's how we feel when we're not well. And so, but no one wants to feel that way. And what we're missing is the opportunity, and what we're building is the answer to that opportunity of how do I get that person who wakes up in the morning and it takes them five minutes to get limber because they're just, their bones ache and, you know, they don't have their, um, you know, they're just, they're just not well and they want to be well. And, and there's so much friction in that process, which is again, when you look at it and there's so many messages, like you said, I don't think it's 9,000. I think it's more like four or 5,000 messages that you'll get every quarter um, that are telling you to take it easy. Um, you've earned the break, so grab the beer. Um, you deserve a break today. Um, just this once, it's part of a balanced meal. All those things that you hear over and over again. Um, you've earned this. Um, it's just this once. All those sugar drinks, uh, fast foods, alcohol, um, you know, binge watching, all that is like five or 6,000 messages that you'll see in a given quarter compared to the one visit you go to your doctor and he's like, well, gee, uh, Ron, 
um, you know, your, your weight's popping up there. And I understand your knees are aching, but you know what, if you drop a few pounds, that would really help. And you leave the doctor's office going, dang, right. I'm going to start working out. Um, and on the way home on the radio, they're like, Hey, there's a special at, uh, at Chick-fil-A, uh, for today only. And you're like, well, gee, I'll, you know what? I'll get to that workout tomorrow. I'll get to that tomorrow. Um, so what you do when you're in a relationship with a consumer in an application, which it really is, because that's what all technology is to consumers or applications. When you're in that relationship with a consumer and you have their best interest in mind and you're feeding them information about what they need to do. So Ron, it's time for you to get up and take that walk as you told me you wanted to walk 6,000 steps. So let's get started. Um, and by the way, how are you feeling at the end kind of thing? Then I'm, I have your back as a, as a helper to you, not, you know, shaming you because you didn't and not undermining you because of all this other stuff. And so when you're in that relationship with a consumer long-term, then you start becoming something that they look at three, four, five, or six times a day. And all of a sudden you're, you're dismissing that 5,000 messages that they're seeing in a quarter because you're, you're just intermediating that because you're with them in your po in their pocket and you're helping them. Um, so Gene, what you're saying is the physician is not unimportant, but the physician, the, and we're not saying physicians shame, you know, shut your pie hole and quit eating so much. We're saying that physicians have such a little touch point or such, such few touch points that not being an active part of a care plan is just, that's the way that the system set up. But if they have a superpower with a technology that's constantly reminding them of what we need to do next with our care plan, then they really are um, extending themselves much more than they can with a uh, nurse practitioner, or with a physician assistant, or with a great MA that's calling them every day. This is actually more powerful than their own team. It is correct. And so, and, and the thing with a platform, which is what Wellsmith is, is a platform and platform businesses uh, tend to solve more than one problem, right? So I'm, we're not just solving the problem of consumers being able to more efficiently and without friction do what they need to do in order to stay healthy, right? Which is what if you have a condition, it's simple things like taking your medicine, it's um, getting some activity and it's managing your weight, it's measuring something about yourself, if it's your blood pressure or your glucose, so you understand where you are in your journey, right? And or even just living your daily life. We know that, you know, the, the, the standard is 10,000 steps a day and that should keep you um, relatively well um, in motion and, you know, good for your joints, good for your brain, good for your heart, all of that, right? So we solve that problem for consumers as a platform by creating simple ways that they can take control of their health and understand that it's not something that they, that just happens to them, that they can actually direct and improve that on their own. Uh, the second problem we solve is the bigger problem that I hear from a lot of been listening to your podcast and Dr. McCary, who was the last one uh, that I listened to talking about uh, this idea that the physicians are burned out because no matter what they're doing as physician, it's not helping, right? If, if, if their job is to help us to stay healthy, it ain't working, right? Because there's the obesity rates are climbing, the heart disease rates are climbing, the disease, the diabetes rates are climbing. That's not their job. Their job is to ensure that if we go off track, they can get us back on. But they can't help unless they know what's going on, which is the key to the platform and why it's not just that you have this scrolling 
um, experience that's on your phone that kind of keeps you as a consumer prized of how am I doing and what do I need to do next? But it's instrumented with an activity tracker, a blood pressure cuff, a, a glucometer if you need to measure your blood sugar, a, a scale. All of that is all integrated so that that information is also available on the clinical side. So physicians who are tied to these consumers then have this level of intelligence they didn't have before. So if I've got a practice full of a bunch of Ron Bar shops, um, some who are super healthy and some who aren't, how do I know as a physician who I should be reaching out to? Well, at this point, it, it's a crapshoot, right? You just got to bring everybody in every three months, go through a whole bunch of analysis, and then you know toss back the ones who are doing fine, lecture the ones who aren't, try to get them the help that you need to give them so they can unstick themselves. And then you pat them on the head and say, I'll see you in three months. But with technology today and this ability to gather data from the wild through sensors into an app that's then ported over to a care side where the physicians can then intelligently go, all right, man, I want to look at all the people this week who are have fallen below 50% compliance in their medication. Because I know if they're not taking their meds, that's the number one indicator that they're going to get worse in my, in my thing. And I can, and I can serve that up in real time to, to the docs. And I can tell them who's having high glucose incidence more than usual, who's having low glucose incidence, whose blood pressure is going kind of crazy, who's got a heart rate issue. You know, all of that information allows a physician to do his job better and actually scale. Because right now, the bottleneck in healthcare is getting through the front door of healthcare. There are not enough providers in the planet to solve the problem of the number of consumers who need help with their health. So we need the technology to level the playing field for the docs so they have a fighting chance to help the consumers. Jeannie, it appears to me, just from looking into your space a little bit in the last few months, there's a lot of sham trials going on, clinical trials. And what I mean by a sham clinical trial is if you have a hundred in a population and they're super motivated to want to lose weight, super motivated to reverse their diabetes, you've pre-selected a group that isn't going to be representative of the larger population. Are you seeing other folks in your space doing that or is that just my imagination? I, I think it is. And that's because they're still kind of stuck in that fee-for-service model where, and again, if you've done enough podcast about the, the, the horrors of the fee-for-service and how it's doing a disservice uh, to the clinicians in particular, but everything gets, you get paid on these, I guess you call them, you know, uh, success metrics that are only attainable if you get the right populations in. So I won't badmouth anyone who's in my space right now because we all, there's enough work for all of us to go around. And, and uh, however, um, if you pre-screen people for their desire to change, you will get a lot of people who fall out afterwards because it's harder than they think. Um, what you need to do is move to what I really love what Dr. McCary said was this relationship medicine model where the doctors and the consumers are on the same page and not fighting each other. And we've got to be able to get the docs to be the uh, the cheerleaders for the consumers and if you look at how technology has evolved in every other industry except for healthcare, technology has delivered empowerment to consumers in banking, in travel, in all these different areas, in grocery delivery even, right? Where I can just pick up a 
my app and I could get groceries delivered in two hours, right? All of that empowerment is missing from healthcare. And if we give consumers the right tools to manage their health, they will do a better job at doing it than anyone else, including uh, uh, any companies that are out there saying, look, I'll coach your employees to lower weight. I'll coach them to uh, better diabetes control. I'll coach them. No, give it to the consumers because they will do a better job if they have the tools than anyone else can do. And it'll be a lot cheaper and everybody will be a lot happier. Well, Jeannie, I want to thank you for your time. How do people find you if they're looking to connect with you? If uh, you want to get me, uh, I'm on LinkedIn at Jean Teschler, J-E-A-N-N-E Teschler. Um, and Jean at wellsmith.com is my email. Okay, great. And my favorite question to ask at the end, and I, if you heard the Macri interview, I actually wrote his banner for him. You did. Because I'm such a big fan. But what would be your banner you would fly over America to get the message out? You know, that one is, uh, it's really directly to the consumers and that, and, and it's a, it's a big one, but you have the power to do this. You have the power to change your life. You have the power to take control over your health. And it's our job at Wellsmith to give you the tools to do that. But it is in all of our control as consumers to write our own health story. Love it. Love that we um, have you on the show. Love to find more folks like you that are making the difference by looking at the consumer first as the solution. Maybe not. Maybe the system isn't the solution. Maybe that hasn't worked so well for us uh, for the last 30 or 40 years. So love the new approach. And um, I'm betting on you guys to be a big winner in the future. So uh, thank you again for your time. We'll do this again and catch up with you real soon. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate the time. Thanks, Jeannie. Thanks again to our sponsor, the MediSearch Institute. I want to read you a note a CEO friend of mine sent me who used them for a rare childhood disease her daughter had. Dr. Talbot's research was thorough. He provided clear paths of treatment, and he gave me access to the best physicians. I'm so grateful for his work. That's the MediSearch Institute. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, Go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.